Hey everyone, welcome to episode 265 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a legendary United Kingdom woodland photographer and YouTube sensation, Simon Baxter. We had a wonderful chat about his passion for woodland photography, his new book, balancing content creation with a desire to create new photos, burnout, how our upbringing impacts our approach to photography, his transition to being a full-time photographer, the nuts and bolts of making full-time photography work for him, and so much more. On Patreon this week, Simon and I discuss how we identify why we love what we love and how that has improved his approach to making images. You can listen to this bonus episode and over 190 others by joining your peers and supporting the show financially on Patreon. See the show notes for details on how to help us out. Thank you. Okay, let's get to the show with Simon Baxter. Right, Simon Baxter. It's great to finally have you on the podcast. Yes, it's yeah, it's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? I've, I'm sorry, I've not been very good at getting this this organized. But yeah, it's, I mean, I've had a bit of a a break recently, so um, but I'm re-energized now and excited to be talking about photography again. Brilliant! I love it, and I'm I'm sure we're gonna talk all about that later. Yeah, um, yeah. That always is an interesting subject, right there. And, you know, I got to say, I really enjoy your, your YouTube channel and, and all the, you know, all your woodland photography is really awesome. It's, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit jealous. We don't have quite that type of topography here in Colorado. So it's cool to see that. How, how can how can you live in Colorado and be jealous of somewhere else? <laughs> I know, I know. It's, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, we do have forests, you know, we have aspen forests and pine forests, but we don't get that you know, ethereal, foggy, moody, awesome, gnarly tree stuff like you guys do over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I am very fortunate of what I've got on my doorstep, uh, which took me a while to discover. Um, but that's that's the most important thing, isn't it? Not taking it for granted and, and appreciating what you've got close by. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, uh, what's lucky for you, um, as opposed to where I live, is you probably could continue doing that type of work until you're in your 80s, whereas I can't climb mountains in my 80s, probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes I struggle to do it now, and I'm only in my 40s, so that doesn't bode well. <laughs> right, no, um, but yeah, there is, yeah, but there is um, the fact that you can, you know, take a short, a relatively short walk, you know, maybe it's 10, 15, 20 minutes tops, and then be on location and just plod around and not cover much space at all. Um, you know, for a few hours is is fantastic. Yeah, that's what's really fun about woodland photography is you move fifteen twenty feet and you have a whole new composition. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Sometimes just uh, you know just a, a few steps, and uh, that's that's what I love about it is um, you know that sort of slow movement, contemplative, and you know discovering something new in a very short space. You know that little that sense of small scale exploration is uh, yeah right. I love it. Well, for for people that aren't familiar with you, I guess that's probably like seven people in in the world. But um, (laughs) why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your photography journey? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Simon Baxter, and um, I live in the northeast of England. Um, I have a long-term partner. I think we've been together for 23 years, something like that, engaged for nine years. <laughs> still, 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 still not married. Um, no kids, uh, apart from uh, the fur baby that is uh, Meg, um, our Labradoodle. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been a serious photographer for several years. Um, um, you know, out, outdoor photographer with a, an affinity for for trees and woodland. Um, but have had cameras and an interest in photography since you know before I was ten years old. Um, so quite quite a long history of photography, really. You know, I used to shoot film. Um, uh, now shoot Sony digital. You know, and um, you know, not really much of a kind of gear you know, fanatic, to be honest, um, just sort of use, see them as, as tools um, and just the kind of excuse for, for being out in these fantastic woodlands and enjoying that environment. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of me really. And the only, my only other passions uh, other than photography are probably the, the three C's, which are caffeine, cake and chocolate. So everything, everything that you need to fuel photography. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a, Three B's, bourbon, beer, and I don't know the third one. <laughs> big, big, big kick. Yeah. Come <laughs> nice. So when did you transition into uh, being a full-time photographer? Um, I think it was 2018. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure it was. Um, which was a lot sooner than I expected, to be honest, um, because... In 2016, absolutely nobody knew who I was as a photographer. And it was uh, starting on uh, YouTube that really helped me to kind of reach reach an audience, um, you know, and it just kind of snowballed from, from there, really. Um, and it, it was a strange thing because there was never an, an intention to, to go full-time. I didn't start YouTube with an intention to... Um, you know, or an expectation to be a full-time photographer. It just kind of happened, um, which was very, very fortunate because I, I was a self-employed website developer. I'd been doing that for, you know, over 12 years, I think. Um, hurt my back, really struggled with, you know, making websites, sitting at the desk, couldn't even really stand at a desk. So the business suffered massively. Um, and then I just photography seemed to be going well i channeled everything into that my energy negativity was channeled into that as well trying to get something positive out of you know the bad things that were happening um and it just seemed yeah it just sort of seemed to work and um the it was showing potential and i took the big step in 2018 and just haven't looked back really yeah very fortunate so for people who don't have a big youtube channel what does that usually look like in terms of kind of the the trajectory? I mean, you know, you start producing a lot of videos and then you get a, you gain momentum and you get a gain of viewership. And then how does it end up becoming something that you can actually monetize? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know the the answer. All I can do is speak from my own experience and my experience and my advice. And it will be very, very different to somebody else's. Because the way that I approached it wasn't with, um, you know, I didn't sit down and think, right, I want to be a full-time photographer. 
what am I going to do to try and increase my chances of being commercially successful? It, it wasn't like that at all. All it was was I'm doing this thing. I'm going out in the woods. I'm enjoying this this space with my with my dog, um, and it's going well. You know, my photography changed massively just in the space of a year. And people sort of seem to start to show a little bit of interest on platforms such as Facebook, etc. And then I was in touch with Thomas uh, Heaton, and uh, because he doesn't live too far from me, he also has a Labradoodle. And I remember speaking to a, a, someone who lives nearby, and he said, "Oh, you remind me of Thomas Heaton." And I said, "I have no idea who that is." And he said, "Well, he makes videos on on YouTube about photography." I was like, "Really? People do that?" And he said, yeah, yeah, check him out. And I think he'd only done about half a dozen videos at the time, so he was still very new. And I watched a video, I think he was in the late district, a very, very early one. And I thought, oh, this seems kind of cool. You know, I'm in a position where I've given up my previous hobbies and I sort of seem to have been losing contact with friends um, that, you know, I used to go mountain biking with. And I thought, here's a guy, he's a similar age to me. He loves the outdoors. He's out taking pictures. He's got a labradoodle. I'm just going to send him an email and say, hey, you know, let's go out with the cameras. And he got back to me and, and we did. Uh, we went out and then, so we just kind of got a bit of a friendship from there. And he said, he said, I like your photography. Why don't you start doing YouTube videos? And I was like, oh, maybe I should. Um, and I, I, I sort of didn't take all his advice um, because he knew that I was keen on woodland. And he said, don't pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself into woodland photography. You know, people want to see a variety. And I thought, well, yeah, but that's what I that's what I love. And that's the only thing that I, I can really talk about where I feel as if I've got something to say. So I went all in. I bought a vlogging camera. I even bought a drone um, and thought, if I'm going to do this, I'll do this as well as I possibly can, at least from my first video. Went out and just did exactly what I do when I go out without um without the video camera went out with Meg photographed some you know woodland scenes in one of my favorite local spots that I'd been going to for several months and uh, the first video did really really well it's still all these years later um, you know getting on for what is it six years later now um, it's still my most viewed video um, which is really surprising so I think at the time um, in December 2016 it was just a little bit different yes there was Thomas Heaton um, who I was compared to, but there wasn't really that many other people doing it. Um, and there certainly wasn't anyone concentrating just on woodland. Um, so I didn't I didn't approach it with, because I think if you approached it thinking, right, okay, I want to make a full-time business out of this, then I don't think at the top of the list would be, I'm just going to go to the local woodland with my pet Labradoodle Meg right. and talk about photographing trees. Because at the time there was no benchmark there's no comparisons to make i just thought this is what i love i'll go out and do it and then thankfully for me so it sort of seemed to be it sort of resonated with people and people seem to enjoy it so i think it's much more difficult these days to gain traction much much more difficult and a lot of a lot of channels including mine get less views now than what they did a few years back right and then yeah. from from there, I, I'm guessing that the main form of monetization is the advertising that occurs naturally through the platform. And then I'm guessing, you know, there's some sponsorship type scenarios and things like that as well. Um, I think there is for a lot of people. Um, but for me, um, the way that I've treated YouTube is just like any other platform. It's just a, a way to reach people and to share what you love talk about it, 
document your outings. Um, but I get very, very little in terms of ad revenue. Um, I don't have any sponsors. So I, I've never tracked YouTube as, you know, trying to get to a level where it gives me an, in, um, an income that's high enough that to sustain, you know, and to, to, to st- sustain a good living and to pay the bills um, because it, it just doesn't. Um, and, but I, I, a lot of people aim for that. I personally try to avoid that because I didn't want to become a slave to that single platform. Um, and I thought if YouTube disappears tomorrow, you know, it's unlikely to, but things can change really very dramatically uh, with the algorithms, etc. Um, I thought if, if YouTube disappears, I want to be able to continue as a photographer. And the only way I can do that is if I put my heart and soul not into being a YouTuber, but into being a photographer and trying to better myself as a photographer, trying to find ways and means of sharing in, in a meaningful way and just getting better at trying to kind of articulate how I think as a photographer um, and doing workshops, trying to sell prints, um, you know, doing the book, you know. So I, I make more money from doing those things than I do from actually making videos. The videos just gives you that reach to monetize, you know, the other elements of being a photographer. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I love what you said. I wish more people would take what you said as really good advice in terms of just do what you love and uh, don't necessarily approach that with a monetization goal in mind. No, because that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, it's easy for me to say um, because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm full time now and, you know, it's, that's what's worked for me, but there's obviously, you know, there's some weight in that that opinion, I think, because I, I always think a bit of it in terms of longevity and sustainability and protecting passion. Because if your if your approach is based on right, what are the what are the tricks of the trade to try and beat, you know, use the algorithms of these different platforms? You know, what can I do to monetize this, that, and the other? How does my photog what does my photography have to be like? How do I need to process my images? There's a particular look that's popular or something like that. I just think if you go down that route, then how do you sustain that? Because then you're constantly, you know, chasing your own tail and, you know, trying to follow trends and things like that. And then you just get, I think for me anyway, who my photography is very emotionally led. It's very, you know, wrapped up in my past and, you know, the things that I genuinely love. Um, I think to compromise that for the sake of trying to chase commercial success, I'd just be miserable. And I'd just end up hating the pictures that I make. I'd end up hating myself as a photographer. And that just isn't worth, you know, earning more money, being in a bigger house or anything like that. That's never been the aspiration to be the most commercially successful and most famous photographer. It just doesn't interest me. But if I can have a, a nice lifestyle, a relaxing lifestyle, um, and still go out and do the thing that I love, then that's, for me, that's that's the golden ticket without kind of compromising, um, you know, the, the passion of it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty prolific, though. I mean, I think you've been producing like one episode a month, something like that, since 2016. And I know mm-hmm. from personal experience just how hard it is to keep up with that rate, not only, you know, my experience on the podcast, but also I did try to do a YouTube channel for a while and I was like, Oh my God, this is hard. Um, yeah, so it's, it you, is hard. Yeah. How do you, 
how do you balance your need to constantly create new content uh, with your own pursuits and your emotionally led image making in photography? How do you balance those things? Um, actually, I think, uh, I mean, I know you kind of use the word prolific, but I would, I would say that I'm, I'm not prolific. Certainly when you compare, compare me to other um, photographers on YouTube who uh, have a tight schedule of a, a video every single week, um, I've never, ever done that. Sometimes I might have gone, I've had a little phase where I've done one every week for about three or four weeks, but that's quite unusual. Um, in fact, I've had a very dry spell just recently where I think it's it's getting, it's getting on for about two months, I think, since my last video went out. Um, and I think some people would kind of panic at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with it and I'm very keen to get, and, you, and I'm very keen to get a new video out, but, um, yeah, I think you have to th- sort of look at where the pressure's coming from because I actually don't think that the people who really matter, your core followers, they're not, they're not putting pressure on you on you to create content. You know, if you look at, you could argue that your patrons are the people that are really looking for, for content because they're giving you, you know, they've pledged to give you so much money each month. But the feedback that I tend to get from patrons is, yeah, we accept that you're taking a break. You're, we know you're taking the break for, for the right reasons, um, but you'll come back stronger. And that's the key thing. So I think a lot of the time the pressure is self-inflicted and I've been guilty of that. It's like, oh my God, I need to get a video. I was like, well, why? Why Why do you need to get a video? You know, it's not the end of the world. You know, the people are still going to come back, whether it's every two weeks, every three weeks, every four weeks. Um, So I'm I'm too precious about, you know, if I'm going to put a video out, I need to have something to say. And sometimes you can't help but have a little bit of repetitiveness. But I tend to wait until either... There's some really nice images that I want to say, uh, want to sh- share. When something has changed in my own thinking as a photographer, and I want to share that, um, something particularly magical or something actually particularly bad, which have, has happened that, I need, that I've learned from, then I'll talk about that. But in terms of the kind of just generic uh, videos, which sometimes appear as if they've just been churned out for the sake of producing a video, I try, I try to avoid those. Um, um, because I have to feel good about, about what I'm saying. And it's, it's, it's been fine. You know, I don't have massive numbers, you know, some people grow much, much quicker than I do. But the thing that I want to protect is being able to just go out and photograph trees and not, not be jetting around here and everywhere, just, you know, drive 15 minutes away and photograph an oak tree I've photographed about a hundred times already. (laughs) I I love that. Um, so, you know, when photography is your full-time job, though, which it is for you, I know that the pressure is on to continue to produce that content um, or to, you know, make an make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you What do you do when you start to feel burnt out? Yeah, I mean, there has. I try to avoid that the best that I can, but there has been occasions not where I felt burnt out, um, but where I felt as if some of the passion was slipping away. Um, because sometimes, you, you know, with the best will in the world, you know, you can't help but be drawn into, you know, having to do stuff that, you know, for the sake of the business that you don't really want to do. And, and if the skills just sort of tip in the wrong way, um, then it, it, it can be tricky. And I think it's not the same for everyone, um, because some people produce 
um, that their, their photography adapts to the content that they want to put out there, you know, so they, they produce that they, they change their photography to fit what they want to schedule in terms of what they're putting out with videos or whatever, or what they ever, whatever they feel is going to work commercially. Uh, whereas I always tend to adapt my content to fit what I want to achieve as, as a photographer. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't always work out that way. Um, and if that happens, then I have to nip that in the bud very quickly. Otherwise it's, you know, cause I, as far as I'm concerned, if I lose a passion, then yes, I can still produce content, but I think it's game over. Um, yeah. So I tend to, that's when I do tend to step back and remind myself why I do this. So I continue to go to the woods. I might not take my camera. I might do, um, but just enjoy that, that space and just walking around and take myself back to how it was at the beginning when there was no pressure to produce content, just go there and just wander around and just relax and think, yes, this is what it's about. You know, the photography is just a byproduct of actually being in the woods. Um, I need to keep, and as my photography is rooted in the therapeutic benefits of woodland and having to have that space, then I need to give myself that space. Um, I need to be there without the video camera. Sometimes I need to be there without the stills camera and just and just chill out, you know. Sometimes find my favorite rock, just sit there, you know, enjoy the view. And it's amazing, actually, when you do just sit there and be silent, how things just come to you. Um, you know, all of a sudden you'll start to hear more birds, you know, a road deal will walk past in front of you. And it's it's amazing what you sort of see and hear. Um, so I need, I need time, I need time to do that. And then you all, like I said before, you always come back stronger and that's the most important thing. So, um, yeah. And I think, and I think then you'll always have something more meaningful to, to, to say and share. Yeah. I love it. Um, when you first started your, your YouTube channel, um, I'm curious if you had any, I know you said you didn't have any monetization goals, but did you have other goals in mind for your YouTube channel? And I'm curious if, if those have been achieved. Um, I, d- I don't have long-term goals, I don't think, um, because what I, what I, it, the, my own photography pursuit is what drives the content. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and what my own photography pursuit is, is just something that evolves. I, you know, I, don't, I don't typically know what it's going to look like, you know, two years from now. It's just, I, you see, I love conversations about photography. You know, when, when I run workshops, um, yes, we, you know, we're out in the field and we're making images and, you know, I'm showing people techniques and things like that. But I always say to them, it's important that we just sit down and talk about photography. And it's those, because it's those conversations that obviously, that most often give inspiration it uh, nurtures instinct and just every now and then there's just like a little nugget which just inspires a way forward and that little nugget might just be it might be nothing more than just a single word which completely alters your perception um of what you like to photograph you know i have lots of come you know i'm fortunate to have um joe cornish as a friend he lives just around the corner i have some fantastic conversations with him and um, because he's so eloquent um, and thoughtful in how he talks about photography every now and then it just just be a sentence or a word I'm like yes that's it that just fits with how I feel about the woodland and you know and how I view it and how I interpret it um so 
those those moments is what then adapts and influences what I talk about on on YouTube. So the the long term goal of it, I don't really know what what that is. I just I, honestly I don't because it's just a case of because you can't forecast forecast that, um, and I think it just has to be a case of right what excites me at this moment in photography. That's what I'm going to talk about, and then you just hope hope it goes somewhere. <laughs> And be, yeah, and because and I think in that way as well, you're kind of taking people on the journey with you, because they, you know, I've still got people now who have been following since 2016, so they've seen those changes, and those, cha- you know, there's been some quite dramatic changes, even though I'm still photographing the same places as what I did six years ago, um, and I think that's that's the fun part of it, I think, because you're kind of inviting people into into your life and you're taking them on you know and that they feel part of it and they can see the evolving rather than just sort of jumping from one trend to another or trying to you know just adapt your photography for content creation and just do it the other way around then i just think you take people on a, on a better ride i think yeah there's a i don't know about you but for me there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability involved in that approach you know one of the things i actually really enjoyed about vlogging when I dabbled in it and I'm sure I'll still dabble in it in the future, but I, I did like a four day backpacking trip up into the mountains mm. and um, by myself. And, you know, I had like a really, I wouldn't say it was a negative experience, but I got caught up in some psychological traps that I hadn't had happened to me in a long time. Mm-hmm. And the vlogging was like a really great way for me to process it with somebody, even though it was just myself and a camera, you know, but it was a nice uh, outlet for me to be able to just get it off my chest. Yeah. Yeah. And, but how do you not feel the, the benefits of being forced into a position where you have to kind of mine your own thoughts and because you need to find a way of kind of, you know, something that's always been instinctive or just kind of happens when you're making an image and the thought process is there. You're just not necessarily consciously aware of it. And now you're in a position where you have to explain everything that's just previously happened in silence. And I think there's a huge amount of benefit to that. Um, and just because it, you know, it, it means you're more contemplative, you know, you're thinking with much more clarity about what you're doing and what you're saying, and it slows you down a little bit more. So did, have you benefited from that as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm thinking back to that trip specifically. I think I feel like I made some really interesting images on that trip, and I think the the fact that I was forcing myself to make videos and to talk about it, mm. uh, it forced me to kind of be more contemplative and thoughtful about what I was actually doing and mm. why I was making certain decisions in the field and things of that nature. So, I'm wondering mm. for you, have you found that? creating the videos has improved your photography? No. <laughs> no, no, but no, no, that's, that's not strictly true. Uh, like I said, I, I do like the fact that it's, um, it's made me better. I think at talking about photography and that's really nice because like, again, it makes the conversations a bit richer. Um, but there, there are, there's definitely, definitely downsides. Um, there's, there's moments where, you know, I've perhaps been working towards particular images for a long time, and you go, you go to woodland. The conditions are fantastic, like something you haven't seen in two years or more. And there's one side of you thinking, right, this would make fantastic content. You know, flying the drone through the mist and golden light, and you know, people will be able to see the excitement in your eyes as well when you're making images. 
Um, and I've done that in the past, but then these days I tend to be like, well, this is my best opportunity that I've had for a long time to really make some great portfolio work. I can't, I can't video because it's the difference between two images um, or six images that could end up in a book or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of approach that I, I prefer to take these days. But then there's other benefits to that because you can do retrospective videos where you look back on that day. And I think in in that sense, there's a lot more you can say about a photograph because you can recall the experience and what you went through when you actually made the image, but then you've got that objective view of having lived with that image for a little while and adding a little bit kind of depth and substance to the to the conversation around that. Yeah, that was a that was a realization I made as well very quickly is that I have to kind of pick, right? I can't you can't do both really mm. well and I like you, I found myself leaning towards okay, I'm getting the photos are more important than the video. Um in fact, I remember <laughs> I remember one time I was doing a video and I was talking about this scene that I was about ready to capture and then I looked over my shoulder and the light was just going off on these mountains behind me right and I just I was like okay I gotta go and I just you know (laughs) I I was super excited I got it all on video which was hilarious but then the video just kind of abruptly ended and then I had to talk about I had to do a voiceover afterwards about what I was doing and showing the photo that I got in the process so um, you know it's it's really hard to do both yeah, I mean, the thing is, people like that as well. You know, people being like being part of that where the, the, the panic happens and, you know, like, like you said, the light's about to fade. And, and if people see that, then it feels like, you know, something they've experienced as well and they can relate to it. Um, so in terms of content, it's still fun for people to watch. It's still great stuff to to upload. But my, my view of it is like, well, yeah, but I might want to create a book and that's when there's a need those photographs. You know, if I miss it because I've been filming, then I might not get that opportunity again for a long time. And I, I think really when it, you know, when it comes to things like prints and books, something that's going to, you know, be there for years, you know, and it might be sat, be on somebody's wall or on a coffee table or whatever, that stuff, you know, people are going to remember and appreciate moving forward, whereas a video will be forgotten about, you know, a week later. Yeah, that's, that's that's the that's the the kind of tricky part of it. Right. Have you been able to develop any uh, kind of shortcuts in the editing side of things in order to kind of get your videos completed more quickly? I, I found the editing part to be really the hardest in terms of you know clipping the videos to the right places and then having an intro and text and yada 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 like all that work is like I feel like. I learned just enough about Adobe Premiere to be dangerous and then it just got even more <laughs> frustrating. So yeah. um, it really de- depends upon the, the the kind of format of that particular episode. Some of the very, very quick to put together. I did one, I did a collaboration with uh, an ecologist uh, called um, Lucy Lapwing and that was quite a long video uh, with no photography in it. But there was two different camera angles all the time. There was uh, two mics. And there was a lot of content that took forever to edit, um, which got quite frustrating. Whereas what I quite often do now is I'll go out and have a good afternoon of photography or a good morning of photography. Um, then I'll, if I'm fortunate enough to get the same conditions the day after, 
I might go back and repeat that photo shoot, but film at the same time because then all the pressure's off and I can just concentrate on getting the bits of B-roll and then I only get what I need. And then when I take it back into the editing suite, then it's just, well, I need all of this and you just throw it in, you know, crop off the the bits that you don't need and it just sort of comes together quite quite easily. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, it might only take, you know, three or four hours, something like that. Only Only four hours. <laughs> well, it, the worst thing is the worst thing for me is finding music. Oh, I know. Ah, oh, just I'm the worst music. at it. I always pick <laughs> the wrong music. <laughs> but I think it's it's such an important part of the video because I know you you have to invest that time because it, it really set it sets the mood. It has to complement the photographs and just has to kind of complement your style overall. I think and finding those is really hard. Yeah, and then figuring out how to duck it so that it changes amplitude and all that yeah yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah 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 like i said i learned just enough to like every time i have to do something i'm like how do i do that again i have to watch a tutorial again <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like more i spent more time desk. watching youtube videos to help me create my youtube videos <laughs> than, I, than actually creating them themselves <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it's fun though it's fun um, yeah, it I'm is. Curious. It is as, as much as a curse being at the desk sometimes, well, all the time. Um, actually, having the end product um, is a really nice feeling. Um, but I don't mean in terms of right. I've got content to pu- publish. The fact that I have something which documents a nice day out um, that I can look back on back on in the future. You know, because there's going to come a time where we don't have Meg with us anymore. So to have sure. these videos which have documented just a fabulous kind of era of my life of you know being a photographer and enjoying that time with Meg there's 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 a huge amount of value in that and that's why yeah. um yeah I, I you know I'm not too prolific with the videos because I want to look back on them and always feel good and proud about what I've what I've done and what I've said brilliant I'm curious if you have a a favorite video that you've made if so what what was it about and why was it so enjoyable <sighs> Um, I think like, this is a, this is a tricky thing, which you've, I guess you kind of got to learn to ignore, but usually you, what you perceive to be your best videos are your least successful ones. <laughs> so when I say, talk about success, I mean, um, the, the least viewed videos. Right. So that, that, I mean, that's just kind of vanity metrics, I guess. Um, that's kind in terms of the same of ones- with our photography too, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. So- but the, but then actually when when I, when I look at the ones which I felt really good about, and when you really look at it, and it might not have had a lot of views, but when you see it's just getting that reaction from a small number of people where they say this is my favorite video ever, or this has altered something in the way of my thinking, and or mm. just you've had an impact, then that does the stuff that I feel feel good about. Um, I really like one that I did recently. Uh, I said, well, I say recently, it was only my kind of second to last video, but it was still weeks and weeks ago, um, was titled something like How a Hidden World Has Changed My Photography. Hmm. Um, and it talks about the wood wide web. Um, I really liked that one um, because, yes, I showed some photographs, but I was talking about something, um, you know, much, much more kind of, well, I find it really interesting and fascinating. Have you heard of the wood wide web? No. It's kind of, no, so it's, 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 it's just a term coined, when we're talking about mycelium and this underground network of 
fungus, uh, which trees apparently use to communicate one another and share nutrients and, you know, send signals back and forth, you know, where mother trees can nurture young trees, um, you know, and they use this sort of carbon stores, etc. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating area of research, but it's something that I've taken to influence how, so some, this thing that's happening underneath ground, uh, you know, this fabulously complex network of communication um, I take that and I, I apply it to my thinking above ground. So rather than just sort of seeing trees as subjects, I see woodlands as communities, as, mm. you know, places where trees do talk to one another, you know, where it kind of brings these metaphors to life. And, you know, then it you then start to be influenced by films as well, such as Lord of the Rings, uh, Avatar, um, you know, Harry Potter and things like that. Um, and you see the way that trees relate with one another, these interactions, these branches that just flow from one to another. So you, all this communication that's going on underneath ground, you start to sort of visualize this network above ground. That's that's how I look about uh, think of it. And I think it's just fascinating. But yeah. then when I when I was starting to think about this and I watched and I thought back to uh, the film Avatar and I thought, surely... Uh, the director has been influenced by mycelium. Surely he's heard about the wood wide web and this has influenced him in terms of the creation of the tree of souls in Avatar, where the, is it the Navi? Is that what they're called? Where they connect their ponytails yeah. to the tree of souls. Yeah. And it, it turns out it was, it turns really? out that that film was influenced by, I've, I've, I can't remember her name now, but the scientists behind a lot of this research it influenced him and I was like, brilliant. So it's like, then I end up with photographs called the tree of souls and things like that. And it just, it just, it's the imagination that it inspires and that childlike imagination, which I think is what makes woodlands so magical, that kind of sense of adventure. There's the, the, like I said, those metaphors of visualizing trees, trees as mythical beasts and things like that. Um, I think it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. I actually really wanted to talk to you about this particular topic. Um, I'm wondering how you feel about how our personality and our upbringing and our childhood impacts how we approach photography and, and what are your thoughts on that from your own journey? Cause it sounds like you're kind of tapping into some of that childlike, you know, enthusiasm. Yeah. I, I find this quite um, fascinating really. Um, and it wasn't. It took. It took actually a few years for me to recognize the, the the parallels between how I approach photography and how I approach previous hobbies and how I interacted with nature as I was growing up. Um, and it kind of helped me to come to a few sort of realizations. So I mean, when I think back to the past, when I was just very fortunate to to grow up in an environment where we had access to countryside, where we had access to the coast. As young kids, we used to go down to the beach and turn over rocks and try and find crabs. And, you know, you'd just be absolutely fascinated by the this, this sort of structure of crabs and just all these little, and the colors in rock pools and things like that. And then as I got a bit older, I did some um, freshwater fishing. Um, but when I think back to how we used to approach freshwater fishing, we'd, we'd go to the most secluded lake where nobody else was fishing with the most difficult to catch fish. 
And it became about the journey rather than your kind of intended quarry, you know, and rather than about the fish that you wanted to catch, it was about everything else that surrounded it. It was about being at the water's edge at sunrise, you know, the mist rolling up off the water, the the sightings of wildlife, etc. Um, <clears throat> and we had a motto when we were younger. And think, you know, bear in mind, I was really quite young. Um, and it was Piscaton on Sol and Piscator, which is apparently the motto of the Fly Fishers uh, Club, which means there's more to fishing than catching fish. And it's that's the sentiment of that that I've kind of carried through to photography. Um, but I used, even when going from that to very active uh, lifestyle as a mountain biker, I would go out in the most horrendous weather and ride the most difficult to ride trails because I wanted to experience nature at its worst because that's when you can appreciate it uh, the most as well. And I wanted to better myself as so I would, (laughs) a friend who would, it would start snowing and he'd turn off his mobile phone because he knew I'd be ringing him to go out and mountain bike at night in a blizzard (laughs) and ride down these ridiculously steep hills because I knew that those experiences will be the things that I remember and would talk about and would make me better as um, uh, a mountain biker. Um, but then in in kind of contrast to that, even when I was just a teenager, I used to um, dim the lights in my bedroom, in, pa- in my parents' house. I would put on some chill-out music and just lie on the sofa and just relax, which sort of seems like a peculiar thing to do as, as like a young teenager, but I did. I absolutely loved it. And and I still do that now. You know, I'll, I'll find some music by Ludovici Rinaudi, you know, a bit of classical piano, and I just sit back and I just like those moments where you can just sort of escape and chill out. And I think it's all that stuff that's happened in the past and how we kind of interacted with nature, those those previous hobbies. I think it's had a huge impact upon how I interpret things with my camera because I always thought that I was in the woods because I was forced into a position where I needed to seek therapy and solitude because of a back injury. Um, but I think actually it was inevitable in, in some ways. Yes, that's had a huge part to play. That's the catalyst. That's the event that kind of took me back there. But the person that I was when I went there, I still, again, I thought it was about me and my kind of back issues. But actually it was just the same person that I've always been. Um and I think I was always going to be drawn back to that because those are the types of places and the way that slow appreciation, that need for chill out space, that need to, um, like I said, you know, there's more to photography than taking a photograph. It's everything that surrounds it. And those are the primary reasons for being there. Um, and I think it makes you realize that actually you're probably not that in control of the decisions that you make and where you end up as a photographer um, you know, I'm not saying that I believe in fate, um, but I think so much of the decisions that we make and the journey that we take as photographers is influenced by our past and where we came from. And that is something to be massively cherished and protected because, you know, rather than our photography being, you know, developed and constructed by um, trends or, you know, styles, aesthetics that, you know, we tried to follow, I think it should be a part of us, you know, part of our past, part of who we are as a person, what we what we care about. Because that is, for me, the kind of gives your photography that unique signature. It's that kind of magic ingredient, if you like. 
um, which allows you to always be happy. Whether your photography is successful or not, that's what allows you to always be happy with the images that you produce. And that is precious. Well said. I'm curious for you, are you, how conscious are you of that reality when you're out making images in terms of kind of the influence of your history and your upbringing and how that influences the work that you're creating? Um, I wasn't conscious of it at all for, for years. Um, it's something that has, you know, become more of a stronger realization probably over the past sort of three years. Um, and it's, you know, it comes back to being in a position where as a full-time photographer, someone who talks about it on YouTube, where you have, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, well, what does my photography mean? And you have to know, you have to understand that to, to know how you want to take it forward. Because you do go through phases where, you know, the narrative of your photography changes as, you know, through life events and things like that. Um, so it's, it is, there has been a bit of an effort there to sort of try and just dig a little deeper and sort of tap into to things and then things some things you can you feel as if you maybe it's just hunting too much and in other things it's just like wow it's like it's like an epiphany it's like well of course that's the case you know how how did i not see that before um and it's so yeah i, I love those moments um because it, it it really just sort of changes the trajectory of your of your work yeah i love that you said sometimes it feels like you're hunting too much because i absolutely hate that when I'm in my head too much about what I'm trying to photograph. Like, yeah, like you're actively looking for something to make a photograph of versus just being in the moment and experiencing it and reacting. And I have to constantly kind of reset myself when I find myself in those, in my headspace like that. And um, yeah, it's good to hear that I'm not the only one that has it. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's where it comes back to. You know, you just need to that time out to you know appreciate again. You know why why you're there and why you're doing this, and it has to have that element of instinct to think. And when you're trying too hard, you lose that instinct. Um, but that there always always has to be an element of that in the photography because that's what gives it soul. I think. And it, it, what gives you that thing that you just can't put your finger on in a photograph. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of difficult to find, I think. It is. And I, f I feel like, at least in my own work, it's, it's very fleeting. Like some, some images have it and some of them don't. And yeah. And sometimes it might have a little bit of it, but not nearly enough to, <laughs> to make yeah. it special. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting thing to start looking at in your own work, especially at, I see it in other people's work really easily for for whatever yeah. reason, probably because it's not it's not personal. Yeah. But when you start looking at your own work, that's where it's like, is this good? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know? yeah you, you get you kind of get hypercritical, don't you? And yeah. that's that's a difficult uh, thing to tread too because I'm very guilty of kind of crossing that line where perfectionism becomes crippling, and you get so bogged down in and agonizing over things which nobody else cares about. But then it's it's also accepting, well, that's me. That's who I am. And my photography wouldn't be that, what it is, without that ridiculous streak of perfectionism, which drives my partner insane. <laughs> like, like, we've just been working on our garden and my brother's a landscape gardener and he's been coming around and he's sort of doing most of it, but then I'm helping and doing it as well. And it's just like, for God's sake, how would you get anything done? It's just, you're so particular. I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> 
That's funny. You know, as I get older, my thoughts and beliefs as they relate to photography shift. And I'm curious if you've also experienced that in your own pursuit of your photography. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think what I've shifted more towards is taking the attention away from not away from the photography as such, but certainly trying to take the attention away from from me because that, that's that's the thing when you do making YouTube videos, you spend so much time recording yourself and showing your face on screen and everything that you think about, um, and it, it kind of sometimes feels a bit sort of self indulgent or you know egotistical or something. But I'm trying to sort of shift now. My thoughts are shifting towards making everything about the most important thing, which is the trees, the woodland, nature. And because that's, you know, it's very difficult. You know, it's what I struggle with on workshops is that the easiest stuff to teach people is the technical things. And you can give them very kind of, you know, advice on composition. And, um, but it's, it's, it's tricky to, you know, I think sometimes people are just searching for, for answers it's like, well, sometimes you just sort of have to find your own answers. And that comes from that connection with what's in front of you. You know, forget about the camera for a second. Just look at what's in front of you. And the more time that I spend doing that and looking at the trees and noticing all the little th- different things around me, then curiosity takes over. And it's like, well, I'm not looking at a tree anymore. What I'm looking at is something which supports a whole ecosystem you know and you've got you know invertebrates and birds and just so many different life cycles that actually rely upon this tree upon all trees and and the the kind of biodiversity of of some of these ancient woodlands so now my my attention shifting towards well this is this is actually the important stuff and we need to learn more about this we need to care about this um and let that inform our photography um and but the more that you do that the more depressing it kind of gets as well because you realize just what a kind of dire situation we're in kind of ecologically wise um but at the same time from a photography point of view i want people to experience the kind of richness which i've experienced in more recent years which is i'm not photographing a tree i'm photographing an oak tree and this oak tree is 400 years old. And that's important because of this. And I'm hearing these birds because of this tree, because of this woodland. Um, and this growing here is this, and this is this particular type of fern. And that's important because of X, Y, Z. Um, and it does inform how you construct images. And the end result, people aren't going to sort of see that knowledge or see that level of appreciation but it just brings a whole new level of enjoyment and richness um, and satisfaction and fulfillment to the process of practicing photography. So that's what I'm trying to kind of, but it's, it, it's never ending. It's like photography. It's just never ending what you can learn. And it's my, my brain can only hold so much information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I think when I look at um, other photographers work, I can usually there's kind of like a unspoken thing about it where you Mm. can see when that uh, motivation to create the image was based on um, like curiosity and and trying to explore the depths of ourselves and understanding Mm. the ecological things and 
things of that nature versus what we often see in terms of seeing photographic subjects as these extractive resources that are there to benefit us and our photography. Like I can usually see the difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have, I think we saw, we have that self-imposed pressure to perform and to post on platforms and there's an expectation. So there's this, you know, you, we feel as if there's an expectation to produce a particular type of image of a particular standard, but that standard is subjective. And I have lots of photographs, which I love because I feel as if they're well composed. I've spent time trying to craft and make an image rather than take a snap. Um, and I feel as if there's a meaning there, which is, um, you know, it certainly means something to me. But I also know for a fact that if I post it on Instagram, it would just flop. Um, yeah. So it's very, it's very difficult, you know, if you've got that, you know, if people are looking for something in, in your work and you're not giving them that, then, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you navigate that issue as well? Um, but I just kind of, th- there are still images which I won't publish, but I'm quite happy to kind of keep them to myself. And because I think some, some of them just work well as part of, you know, a book mm-hmm. and you can put them in the, in the right context and supply a narrative with it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the book. Um, I know you've been working hard on a book and I'm curious for you, what have been some of the challenges you've faced uh, with the book creation process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a never ending list, right? Yeah. It's, um, God, where do I begin? Um, it, it's, it's funny because if on the face of it, you're like, Oh, wow. You know, you create a book. That just must be an amazing experience. Um, you must feel so proud, but the actual process of it, I found incredibly stressful. The more stressed that I've been in a long time, um, and perhaps I got more stressed than maybe most people, um, because, because it is that emotionally led photography. There's so much of me wrapped up in it that it, it, I got to the point where I tell you, I, I was fine when put, collating the images, I found fairly easy because I could just sort of go with my heart. Um, and I guess in, 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 in essence, you know, it's been a long my whole photo- all of my photography is just one big long-term local project, I guess. So I wasn't sure of I wasn't sure of material, um, and I tend to I take a long time to do things, um, and so I could spend months appearing to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> but it's just it's just there's just something brewing in the background, and I'll just be walking the dog one day, and they're like, ah, that's it, that's the thing that I've been waiting for. And then all of a sudden, it just comes together very quickly. Um, so actually kind of sequencing the images and things like that, I didn't find too difficult. It took a while, but that wasn't hours of sat at the desk. Just <laughs> It was just a while just thinking, right, what do I want to say? I found the writing incredibly difficult because I had things that I wanted to say, but I wasn't entirely sure how to articulate that. Um, plus, Joe Cornish wrote the foreword for the book, who was very, very good at writing. So then I felt the pressure there <laughs> to kind of um, improve my my own writing. So that was a really kind of fulfilling uh, learning experience, actually, it was just trying to improve uh, my writing and kind of get descriptive but not waffle on too much, which I have a tendency right. to do, as you can probably tell. I'm the same um, way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, 
the bit that I found very stressful is when I had to then hand the control over to the printers that I found that really, really hard because it was that, it was that phase of the unknown. And because I hadn't done anything like that before, I was like, well, so what's the difference between me printing at home and CMYK? You know, what's, what's going on there then? What do you mean I can't have this? What do you mean I can't have that? And, um, and there's some things that I've learned since, which I wish I knew at the time. Um, but then when it came to so when it came to kind of getting the proofs and trying to match colors and things um and then also the stress of having committed to a large number of books um the financial commitment without actually having taken pre-orders i thought this has to work uh because i've just spent all my money on this <laughs> um, right. um and then when is it was kind of all going okay i was getting a little bit kind of stressed with it but then when i got the book back um, and it looked fantastic on the outside. It felt like a really good, high quality product. Um, and then I started, and then I opened it up and I was flicking through and I was like, oh, well, that's not quite the same as how I would print it at home. And like, oh, that looks a bit different. Um, and it, it's, it's all like completely natural stuff. It's the, it's the limitations of CMYK. It's never going to look exactly the same as printing on tw- using 12 inks at home. Um, but rather than being just taking a very balanced, rational view of it, it was like, this is a catastrophe. I, just, <laughs> I couldn't sleep. I felt sick. Um, and it was just it was just horrendous. Um, and then I, I thought, right, I need to get this book in front of people. So I showed it to Joe Cornish. I showed it to uh, Sean Tucker lives locally now. Um, I sent a copy to Colin Bell um, and I just got it in front of people and they were like, this is fantastic. You you must be incredibly proud. I was like, yeah, but don't you think there's a bit too much magenta in that image? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, but it's, I'm sure it's a bit different. And like, don't you think this one's got just a bit too much contrast? And they're like, you are insane. <laughs> um, and I realized at that point that I've just, I put, I don't know. I just, I just gone too far. Um, so I had this very odd period of where I just didn't look at the book. So I was posting out like hundreds of books um, and getting really, you know, phenomenal feedback across the board. Um, and I was like, all right, okay, you know, maybe this is just me being nuts. Um, but I still left it for a while, and I didn't actually look at my book for like several weeks. Um, and it's, it took me several weeks until I actually sat down and went through it slowly with a coffee and read it front to back. And I sat there for a couple of hours and I got to the end of this. And I got to those under the two hours and I was like, oh, yes, I feel, I feel, I feel good about this now. You know, I should feel proud. This is everything that I wanted it to be. And those sort of slight differences in rendering, this is, I'm, this is just me being nuts. And I, you know, I have to kind of let go of that. Um, and I showed it to a couple, some people and they're like, oh, well, I actually prefer how it's rendered in the book to how you print it at home. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so the stuff that I was agonizing over was nobody's ever going to notice or even care. Right. Um, so that, that was the biggest challenge. Um, but it's interesting how taking that time out to distance yourself emotionally from something <clears throat> and then allows you to come back and take a very objective and balanced view was exactly the right thing to do. So now <clears throat> I absolutely love it. I love it. I love it to bits. Um, but the process like killed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, we, um, you know, we're working on putting the final touches on our on our book for the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, and we got our first yeah. proofs a couple of weeks ago. And same thing, like there was just too much magenta, like in almost every image. And mm. so we were like, "Oh, we got to fix this. We got to fix this." And fortunately, Tim is, you know, he's pretty laid back, and his he just took care of it. But and he yeah. figured out what the problem was. Like it was laying out just too much magenta in the printer. And yeah, but yeah, like when you get that first proof and you're like, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it stops your heart a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But even, even, even then, you know, there's going to be some variance between the proofs and the final print Yeah, and from, you know, one, sh- one sheet to the next. Um, but in essence, those those differences are minor, and the differences that only you, as the original author, would only ever notice. Um, so I realised that I, you know I just made myself a lover, absolutely nothing whatsoever. But again, it comes back to your own personality, and I just I got to the point where I was just like, okay, you know, I went through that, but that's just who I am. And if I wasn't that person, the book wouldn't be what it is. Um, but when you know, when I think about the the story of the book and the kind of narrative throughout it, it's all driven by um, you know something very personal. You know, it started at a bad time. I went through a journey where everything turned into something very positive, and the book is the end result of that. Um, so obviously, you know, there's there's a lot wrapped up in that. So you want it to to be right. So right. I think it's I'll be forgiven for agonizing over yeah. ridiculous things, but there you go. Well, I understand that working on the book forced you to kind of take a step back and take a break and even a reevaluation of your photography of sorts. And I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, I think it's why I've kind of had this um, break over the past um, two months, because I think what I struggled with was the whole, my photography and my YouTube channel and everything that's driven how I think and feel about woodland has all been to do with uh, having that back injury, suffering with chronic pain and that journey that I've been on and obviously the story of Meg as well. So the book literally felt like a full stop on that chapter, you know, pardon the pun. Um, So it, it felt like the right time to say, okay, now I need to change the narrative of, of what I do because this, my personal story um, has made me the photographer that I am today, but I can't keep pursuing that same thing. You know, I can't keep making it because it just, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right to say, yeah, well, you know, to, to, to look forward and produce another book four years from now or whatever, and to still be talking about, you know, my own kind of personal journey. I think there always has to be an element of that because people uh, are interested in the personal aspect, um, but it needs to go somewhere else now. I need to find a new direction. And that's that's what I struggled with because I thought, God, this is this has been my life and so yes. much has happened in that time. You know, I've changed my livelihood entirely um, and now it feels as if I've just put an end to that era. So what, where do we go now? And I've really, really struggled with that. So I just needed that time just to think, right, what's what's the way forward? Um, how can I continue p- to pursue photography in the same way? Kind of not change what it's about, but just find a new focus. I uh, I went through a similar thing from 20, 2008 to 
2018, I was pursuing a goal of climbing the highest hundred mountains in Colorado. Wow. And I'll never forget, you know, I finished that last mountain 2018 and I got back down to my campsite. I was filled with depression. It was like right. my yeah. entire purpose in life and existence had just disappeared. Yeah. Be yeah. Because I completed this goal that I've been working on for so long and there was yeah. nothing else. There was nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and, crazy. Uh, yeah. It, um, so I can appreciate what you're, what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, and there's, there's no other way than to just take that time out and take stock and try and put things in perspective. And because I'm always someone who I just need some, I need to be working on something. I need something to, to occupy my mind. I can't just sit around and do nothing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm still kind of, I think I kind of know what the future, well, what I'm aiming towards now. Um, but it's been, it's been sort of tricky getting to that point. And it's funny because some people just turn around and will say, well, it's just photography, photography for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, but it isn't though, is it? Yeah. From, from, the, from people on the outside looking in, it's just, they'll just see a photograph of some trees. Right. Um, but it's like, well, no, this is, you know, this is me trying to communicate to the world what I care about. Um, so the, the, the kind of direction and the, the impetus for that, you know, you have to be comfortable with it. Yeah. I love what you just said there. You know, this is me trying to communicate what I care about. I think, I think we need more of that in our personal photography journey. Mm. Yeah. It's hard yeah, though when you, when that, like that era ends and it's like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I've still got plenty of other things to care about, but it's just communicating it in a, in a different way, I think. Um, but you know, I'm, I never, I'm never one to sort of shy away from, uh, a challenge um so yeah i kind of i kind of looking forward to it and i think also I, i'm ve i'm very fortunate that i'm doing an exhibition this year with uh with joe cornish so the kind of the narrative behind that um is very very different to my book there's obviously there's definitely um you know there's definitely a relationship there um and there's a good crossover as as there should be but it is taking it in the direction which um, is more akin to where I see the direction of my own photography going, you know, moving forward. So um, I think that's coming at just the right time because that's what I'll be concentrating on from now. And then the exhibition starts in the summertime. Um, so yeah, probably when the exhibition ends, that's when I'll be depressed again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. I, um, this, I guess over the last two years, I've been writing a, a mountain climbing guidebook for the San Juan mountains here in Colorado and using a lot of my own photography. And that project recently just ended and it's going to print in May. Well, it'll be done next month. All right. Um, great. But it's the same thing. Like I know when that book comes out, it'll be this weird mixture of emotions of achievement and pride and excitement. But then also there's going to be that element of, of depression too, which is so strange. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, it, it's a good sign. I think, you know, um, it just, it, well, going back to what we say, you know, it's what we care about and it just proves that it proves that we, we care and we, you know, we, we're genuine in our pursuit and that's, that's what matters. And that's, that's exactly the thing that will keep, uh, driving us forward. Actually, I tell you what, I've just been reminded, just bear with me. I'm going to jump onto uh, Instagram 
because I kind of I posted something which kind of gave hints of what we've just spoken about. And then uh, one of my sort of long-term supporters, um, really nice guy, and he always kind of drops drops a quote. He loves to drop a quote. But he, he left this quote, which I really like. It's because, you know, going back to sort of talking about uh, breaks, etc. And he said, <clears throat> absence diminishes mediocre passions and increases great ones as a wind extinguishes candles and fans fires. I was like, and I thought that was great because it's exactly right. You know, we, we have this pressure to keep going out there and, you know, people say practice, 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 and that's how you improve. Well, actually, sometimes just taking a step back and giving yourself some space and taking a break from the thing that you actually love um, does nothing more than, you know, um, increases that fire in your belly and that passion. And like I said, you know, people, people, you know, long-term watchers accept that you're not putting videos out there because they know that taking that time out means you're going to go back stronger. So, um, you know, depriving yourself of the the good things, I think is good sometimes. Well said. Where can people uh, get a copy of your book? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, that'd be good. Still got plenty to sell and my partner wants her front room back. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm about to have that experience here as well with the um, NLPA yeah, book. So- uh, so it's available directly through my own website, which is www.baxter.photos. Um, and Brilliant. I, I, ship that, I ship that worldwide. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes as well. So Thank, thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, last question is, who would you recommend our listeners learn more about or get excited about or who should we have here on the show? Um, so two people that I've already mentioned, um, Joe Cornish. Um, he's just, uh, he's just a really interesting guy to talk to and listen to vastly experienced. He's been a full-time photographer for over four decades. Um, so well worth chatting to him because it's just a wealth of experience. Um, and like I say, he talks about photography, the art of photography with such eloquence. Um, um, yeah, so I, I love conversations with him and I know him personally is, is a gent, um, so yeah, def- definitely a good one. Um, and another friend is Sean Tucker. So he doesn't do landscape photography, uh, not really. Anyway, he's more about kind of street and portraiture. Mm-hmm. Um, but another very very good speaker. Um, so I, I love conversations with him just about just about creativity in general. You know, not about a specific genre, um, but just what it's like to be you know a creative a creative person and everything that involves. Um, and he's written a book about this as well. So yeah, he'd be a good, a good guy to talk to. Brilliant. Well, Simon, this has been awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing about having that break. I've just been so excited to talk about photography again. So yeah, yeah. It's, I think, uh, you know, this landed at the perfect time. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect timing. That's, that's awesome. Well, thanks to Simon for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me for a chat on the show. I really had a wonderful time talking with you, and I wish the best for you, man. Please do take the time to help Simon out by purchasing his new book by looking for a link in the show notes. 
Next up on the podcast, we sit down with Devin Rogers, a photographer I met over on the Landscape Photographers Worldwide Discord channel. I've always enjoyed our chats over there, and so we decided to sit down on the podcast to extend those conversations in verbal format. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks again to our Patreon producers who keep the show running, like our longtime patron Drew Armstrong, who is an expert in drone photography, or Suzanne Mathia, who just took an amazing trip down the Colorado River with her students. We have a link in our podcast producers' websites on the podcast website, so check that out and support them as best you can. Well, okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week. Thank you.